Here we are again, another fantastic episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. This week, my tangential questions penetrate the mind of Mike Woods, and he responds on the topics of FOMO, finishing races wearing only one leg warmer, and getting injured at exactly the right time. I've customised Guess That Snack to cater for North American taste buds, and there's another edition of the ever-popular Grand Chores. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. The Sigma's boss presents Matt Stevens Proven to save between 2 and 5 watts, the combination of Ceramic Speed's OSPW system and UFO chain make for one of the fastest drivetrains on the market. Throughout June, order an OSPW system at Sigma Sports and get a free, yes a free, UFO chain. There's never been a better time to upgrade to ultimate performance. Find out more about this offer on the podcast page at sigmasports.com. EF Pro Cycling's Mike Woods is a natural athlete. Before coming a neo-pro cyclist, he set a number of national junior records for middle distance running in his native Canada. And before that again, he had hopes of becoming a pro ice hockey player. But serious foot injuries put pay to a lot of his hopes and dreams. But since it's possible to be a pro cyclist with, well, a half croc body, well, he took to the peloton like a fish to water. Well, well, Mike, good morning and, and welcome to Matt Stevens Unplugged. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. No worries. Um, we, what we do to uh, all our guests, first, first thing, is just ask them if they could kindly describe, firstly, where they are in the world and what they can immediately see around them, how, however kind of boring or however exciting. Well, I'm currently sitting in uh, Andorra in my apartment, uh, looking out the window. There's some nice trees, some nice mountains in the background. Uh, got the door shut to the bedroom because uh, my baby daughter and my wife are in the other room. I'm sure you may hear some squeals later on in the podcast at some point, but uh, <laughs> she's, I think she's asleep at the moment. So All right. uh, big success. Good stuff. Good stuff. So you, you just... Um come back to Andorra from, were you in, where were you before? Were you in Girona doing your, your recovery? Correct. Yeah, I was in yeah. Girona for the entire, my entire recovery from injury, but also during the lockdown. And uh, uh, I was there mainly, I'm a resident of Andorra, but I was in Girona mainly because of just the infrastructure that was available to me uh, for the recovery. I have a really good uh, uh, physiotherapist, uh, actually uh, a Brit uh, named Richard Spink. Uh, right. Okay, and uh, yeah, he was uh, working with me almost five, six days a week, uh, just helping with my recovery. And finally, uh, I stayed in stayed in Girona just because uh, we didn't want to come up here and then have to go into quarantine again. Uh, but on June first, they opened the borders to Andorra. We weren't forced to go into quarantine when we came up, so. That's when we, when we decided to come up. Good stuff, mate. And and first things first as well. I mean, obviously your your awful crash and subsequent injury, very very well documented. How how is it? And we see you had a closed fracture of your right femur, a nasty crash in stage five of Paris. But um, and I've I've seen a lot on online about how your recovery's been going. You've had a lot of support from fans as as well. But Mike, right now, how are you? How has the recovery gone so far? And how are you feeling? I'm great surprisingly great uh really especially in the first week or two post crash and even even in the moments right after the crash i was worried that i might not be able to race again um it was significant like when i was lying on the side of the road i lifted my leg and i felt the top portion of my leg come up but not the bottom portion of the femur like there's this this sliding sense it was awful and (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, mate, it's going through. I know we shouldn't. Well, oh, it's going through me, mate. Oh god. Yeah, it was. It was brutal. And like normally, when you crash, you even I, I, I've crashed several times, obviously, and uh, even more significant injuries. You don't like when I broke my collarbone, for example. Uh, I got. I was in Tour of Alberta. I got right back on the bike and just started riding, trying to catch up to the group. And it was only after you know five, ten minutes, I started just thinking, oh, something's wrong. And then then the pain built in. But with this one, it, the pain was just so significant that uh, I knew right away. I knew right away it was really bad. And yeah, uh, yeah in, in the weeks after, I just was really concerned about where, where, whether I'd be able to ride, uh, concerned even just um, 
long-term about being able to do stuff in the future, like running, uh, hiking, that kind of stuff. But uh, I was really fortunate in the sense that the break was in an uncomplicated, it was a bad fracture, but in an uncomplicated area. Right. And because of that, uh, yeah, the, the, the recovery has actually been really quick. And now sometimes I forget that it's even broken, that I have a titanium post running the length of the femur in there. So you're, you're kind of a, a semi-bionic Canadian now, I guess. I look like a toolbox in the X-ray <laughs> machine now. <laughs> oh, God. Because I also I, have, I have two pins in my foot from my running injuries. Oh, my God. So, yeah, like I, I'm probably going to be setting off some, some alarms in the airport soon. Oh, my God. Well, at least it's titanium and, and kind of not steel. So at least you're, you're not actually adding too much. You know, you know, you're not compromising your power-to-weight ratio too much. That, that's obviously something to consider. <laughs> so, legitimately... <laughs> Just before I went into surgery, I was super doped up. They gave me they gave me a ton of drugs. I actually yeah. said well, after I crashed, I I said to the ambulance ambulance uh, the paramedics when they came up to me, I said, "Don't move me, don't touch me. Just give me every drug you can. I don't <laughs> want to remember this because it just hurts so bad." And yeah. they gave me they gave me they gave me morphine. They gave me ketamine. It was crazy. I was so doped up. But right before I went on the the table. Uh, right when I, before I went under the knife, they said they were going to put a post, like a, this titanium post in my leg. And the first thing I asked them, even though I was really doped up, was how much does it weigh? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's so geeky, isn't it? That's, I know. So, that's so typical of, of cyclists, though, isn't it? You know, but, it, but like, I mean, in some ways, like it's a, it's a legitimate concern to my profession. And she said, the, the surgeon, she said 500 grams. And like, that's what I went into, like, as I fell asleep, I, I had 500 grams in my head and I was like, that's half a kilo. That's so much weight. And then I, I passed out and I was like, I woke up and I was still concerned about how much weight, my extra weight I was going to have to carry in my leg. Mate, that just that says so much about a cyclist being wired up wrong, doesn't it? Oh my god, what well, that's just astonishing, <laughs> and also and, and also exceptionally funny at the same time. If you don't, oh totally. <laughs> but even 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 as a layman, like that's a significant extra amount of weight to just carry around in one leg, which could create some asymmetrical issues, and whether yeah. you're running or walking. Anyway, she got she 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 la- she was laughing about it because she said it was only actually like fifty grams or. Oh right! Grams. So she was she was ripping you. Oh mate! Oh no! Oh, <laughs> Fair enough. Oh god! So so, in terms of muscle, were you ever put in a cast? Because I broke my left tibia uh, in, in a bike crash, and I was put yeah. in a cast. Were you were you? Did you have a lot of muscle wastage and stuff to work to work with, or were you able to be a little bit mobile? Or what, what was the actual kind of medical situation in relation to kind of first resting your leg in the first instance in the first few weeks? Yeah, certainly um, there was a lot of atrophy. The old way of recovering of broken femur was cast and uh, basically lying in a hospital bed uh, for six months. Yeah. But now with this, with the titanium post, it really eliminates the need for a cast. Um, okay. And for me, uh, especially with the titanium post, uh, like it was more a matter of just making sure the scars, uh, sort of the, uh, the stitches healed. And then once that happened, we can start introducing activity. And so I was quite, quite early in my recovery process, activating the quad, activating the glute, um, moving my ankle around, moving my feet, uh, and in seeing Richard Spink as well, my uh, physiotherapist, we really tried to get the flexion in the knee. We tried to get a degree or two uh, every every session extra in that flexion until finally we got to 110 degrees and then we knew I could clear a full pedal stroke and sure. that was at about the two week mark and once once I was able to get over the pedal I wasn't allowed pushing on the pedal with my right leg but I was allowed doing that motion and that motion resulted I, I think really increased the rate of healing but yeah. also um, reduced the amount of atrophy in the leg so now I'm actually pretty much on par my right and left leg are pretty much on par from a muscle, uh, a, a size perspective, strength perspective. And on my power balance, if you look at the power meter, it's almost 50-50. It's so good to hear, mate, that, you, that you're recovering well. I mean, but it is also worth saying, and um, maybe not controversially, but 
if anybody was going to have an injury or take a year out from something, it was going to be now, wasn't it? I mean, without being funny, I mean, everybody's missed a lot, but you've had this kind of period of um, uh, of lockdown to to recover without actually missing anything at all, which is kind of bizarre and bittersweet. Oh, it's been so weird how lucky I've been from a timing perspective. When I think I crashed on the Thursday uh, of Pyrenees and lockdown in Spain began on the Monday, the following Monday. And then the first day I was allowed by the doctors to ride outside was literally the first day that the Spanish government allowed professional cyclists to ride outside. So the timing like couldn't have been better in many ways. I didn't want, obviously, I, I never, never would want this to happen. I never want COVID nineteen to happen. Of course, but, yeah. Um, yeah, like when I was lying on the side of the road, one of the most painful things about the fracture was also thinking about my biggest goal. I think in my career. Uh, and I think I know my biggest goal in my career is the Olympics. Yeah. Um, just based off of the way the course is going to lay out. And I, I was thinking about that. And I realized it's probably gone that, that, that goal. Jesus. And in the time after that injury, it was like every week there was an announcement that played into the favor of my recovery. Yeah. Olympics being delayed. Yeah. Then the tour being delayed. Uh, the world championship still happening still, which would still be in timeline for me to be back at a hundred percent. It was like, it was, it was weird. Yeah. And I think the hardest part for me in past injuries has been when I've been injured, everything else is still going on. And I, to- yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I have the, I have the worst FOMO out there. Like I get, <laughs> I have terrible fear of missing out and I would have been just sitting there watching the races and thinking, man, I need to be out there. But yeah everyone was forced to effectively do what I was already supposed to do, which was be in the house, be locked down and doing nothing. And and also for you, and I think it's fair to say, because you've, let's, let's be honest, had a rather unorthodox path to being a professional cyclist and to achieving the level that you're currently at. Um, You've got this smaller, smaller kind of window of opportunity. It's not as if, Oh, another year has passed. It's fine. I mean, that, that's a real legitimate worry for you, wasn't it? That, you know, you're, you're at or near your kind of physical peak. Um, you know, your, your kind of, your craft on the bike is, you know, it has never been better, has it? So it must have been absolutely awful. Totally. That's something that's always been present in my mind since I became a pro. Uh, I mean, I, turned, I was neo pro at 29. And it's not like, yeah, I knew, I knew even when I entered the world tour, it wasn't like I was going to be doing this for 15 years. Yeah. And, I remember even in 2018, I was doing the Giro and I had a real bad day, uh, made some mistakes and lost a bunch of time when I was riding GC. And I remember afterwards, my director of WAMA came into the room and was saying, Mike, it's okay. Don't worry. Don't get too hard on yourself. You know, like there are more opportunities to come. And I turned to him. I was like, man, there aren't like, I'm going to be, you know, it's not like I'm 21 right now. Yeah. Like I, I have, I feel like I have the room to develop as a 21 year old in some senses, but yeah. there aren't going to be that many more opportunities. So uh, that was something that certainly I thought about uh, particularly in the hospital in the days after the crash. Yeah. I mean, with, with that in mind and, and uh, you alluding to the fact that looking at some of the dates going forward, the world championships, you, you believe that you can be a hundred percent. What kind of targets do you have now, especially around the grand tours? I mean, that, that, there's a big asterisk here as well. I mean, although things are looking relatively good, we still yet to have confirmation that they're going to go ahead, but on the assumption, the tour goes ahead on the assumption, the Giro and the Vuelta go ahead. And, and looking at the composition of EF education first as well, you know, Sergio, Rigo, Hugh Carthy, you've already got some, some big grand tour contenders in there. What, what, what have you and the team kind of earmarked in terms of grand tours that uh, you're going to go for this year? Yeah, I think the team particularly is, is really uh, hesitant to make big announcements right now and, mm. and reveal rosters just because a lot of things are still up in the air. Yeah. That being said, I think my big goals remain the Ardennes. And if the World Championships is on, I've obviously heard the rumors that they could be in could go to Qatar, but if they're yeah. in Switzerland, uh, the course is just so good for me. Yeah. Um, those are going to be my targets for the year. As for Grand Tours, it's going to be tricky. Um, uh, the tours, the tour is something that interests me, uh, obviously, but uh, 
the runway for it is a bit short. Um, then if I were to do the Giro, I couldn't do the Ardennes, so I certainly don't want to do the Giro. And then the Vuelta, uh, I love the Vuelta, but um, I've also uh, put my hand up to do Down Under next year if it happens. Right. So that would kind of rule me out of doing the Vuelta. So it's like, uh, it's for, for Char, I don't, I don't envy Charlie Wigelius, our director right now, <laughs> our, our head director. It's like, he's got a Rubik's cube right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of pieces that need to align, right. Line at the moment. And, uh, you're right. We do have such a strong GC core, especially I was really fortunate to have ridden Perry Nice, uh, and ridden with, uh, Sergio Hainal, uh, sorry, uh, Sergio Higuita, Sergio, uh, is so talented. Yeah. And that was the bright spot for me from Paradise. That, I mean, obviously breaking the femur sucked, but being there and seeing him race uh, yeah. was not just exciting, but also inspirational. The, the kid's like, he's got it all. He's, he's, he's the full package. And I, and I still feel like he has a lot more room to grow. Yeah, I mean, as, as a fan of the sport, and if somebody still works in the sport, obviously, and observer, I was watching Paradise keenly. And um, the big thing, apart from the awful weather conditions, your crash as well, was was it was just one thing that stood out, and it was the way that Iguita and and Sepp Van Mark worked together. It was the and I actually took to Twitter just to comment about it because it was insane. And if you look at how tiny he is, what is he fifty six kilos or something? Yeah, yeah. way rode in the wind and stuff. And and the and the fact as you just mentioned that he's still so young, the potential there is insane, isn't it? The way he the way he he can ride a bike at the moment on any sort of terrain is incredible. No, I think he's. He's got the potential to be the best rider in the world. Um, when, like, I, I'm sure you've recognized this over the years in racing and obviously um, commenting on the sport. There's certain guys that you see and how they act. And yeah. it's not just like he's got, and it's not just that he has talent and it's not just that he, he's already producing results. But I, I watch him and how he, like, just handles himself throughout the day. He's calm. He's collected. He's respectful. He has a willingness to learn. He's not arrogant. And I think those, like he's already getting big results, but you see those attributes and you realize he's still going to learn more and he's still going to gain more knowledge. And that's going to propel him to be not just one of the best riders in the world, which he already is, but the best rider in the world. If th- yeah. things line up properly, he has the right uh, couple more, a couple years of development. He's the guy that could, you know, be the next kind of Alejandro, Alejandro Valverde or, uh, yeah, go down the list kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that brings me on to something else I'm, I'm really intrigued with. We've talked already about your, you know, late flowering as a bike rider purely because you were running, you were doing something else before. Um, but I'm in, tr- and then before that you were, it was ice hockey, then running and then cycling for you. But because you've, you became a pro cyclist quite late, I'm intrigued to, to learn what or to, or to understand what you've taken from those other sports and applied into cycling obviously you, you had to really learn quickly there was this period where you had to learn at a really accelerated rate to be able to cope with riding in a peloton especially skills on a bike but what did you manage to bring or was there anything you could bring from the other sports that you'd excelled at into cycling yeah i think the only reason why i was able to make the transition from running to cycling was because of the large breadth of sports that I did prior to running. I see a lot of runners, uh, I've I've heard stories of a lot of other runners trying to make the transition into cycling, but often it fails because they don't have the same level of athletic background, particularly in North America, less so in Europe. Mm. But in North America, there's a real uh, thought, there's a real um, idea that cycling isn't is more of an exercise oriented sports more of like just a uh it's like it's like running in the sense that it's just all about an engine yes. but especially when you come over to europe you realize how much of a skill sport it is how much athleticism is required yeah and i was lucky super lucky as a kid to have had great to have great parents and they put me in everything they put me in uh you know i did i played uh, hockey, tennis, soccer, downhill skiing. I mean, I could go down a list of sports. I, I did so many. And yeah. all of those sports, when you start doing a, a bunch of sports as a kid, you start seeing links. Yeah. And uh, as I progressed as a runner and started making it to higher levels in running, 
I still recognized the links and the skills that I accrued from hockey and, yeah. and found links to them to make me a more successful runner. And then when yeah. I made that transition to cycling, same deal. And I think that's an important lesson because I do see a lot of people, regardless of the sport, making their kids focus so singularly on that one sport. And yeah. it's a real failure because, A, it puts so much pressure on the kid but also it doesn't allow them to, to learn other disciplines that could ultimately propel them to higher levels in their sport. And, and also, it's, I talked about this with, with, with Bradley Wiggins the other week, and it's a theme that always crops up, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you. And you obviously, with you, you having a daughter and, um, and her growing up, you don't know what, you know what she's going to end up doing, but I think doing different sorts of sports equips you well, but it also allows you to be a kid and enjoy yeah. different experiences, you know, there's, and having fun and failing at stuff and then being really good at something and feeling all of those rounded emotions that makes you a better human being as well. You know, there's this, it's so multifaceted doing different sorts of sports, isn't it? Totally. And also to that, on that same note, I think about my running career and one of the biggest failures in my running career is even at 17, 16, 17, 18, I was going too far down that one hole. And I lost a lot of perspective. And because I was so ingrained in this one discipline and felt like my entire identity, my entire um, value as a person was attached to being a runner, I wasn't, I had no outlet. And I had, uh, I had so much pressure and so much riding on that, that when I failed at running or if I got injured, it would just destroy me. And that's like, that's unhealthy. Whereas yeah. if you have this wide range of sports, not just sports, but like arts, if you're you know playing music or you know doing other disciplines, um, you realize you get a lot more perspective, and you realize ultimately that it's just a game. It's just a sport. Yeah. Uh, as much as a lot of people are invested in it, nobody really cares. You know, like uh, in a hundred years from now, there like how many how many cyclists can you name a hundred years ago, that that were good a hundred years ago? You know, like yeah people forget. And so like you, you realize there's just, there's other things in this world and yeah. that that's liberating when you start realizing that that's one of the reasons why I'm successful now as a cyclist. Yeah. And, and, and I think what, you know, innately as, as, as a species, human beings are innately curious. And when you stifle curiosity, you, you, you stifle kind of the way you progress as a person, you know, totally. and curiosity exp extends into sport, as you said it in, you know, it's uh, more creative, the arts, not, not the sport can't be creative, but um, I think it's very important. And, and, and looking at your trajectory, as it were, it, it's, 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 it is absolutely fascinating. And another thing I, I wanted to ask you was because um, I came from football. Um, and multi-sports actually as a kid athletics, football then I was a middle distance runner um, and like you I, di I, I, I didn't break I didn't have stress fractures of my foot or my I, I had a a disease called um, Osgood Schlatter's disease, which oh, yeah, apparently, yes. Yeah, so, well, I had it in the heel, in the and, heel and right. I ended up. Yeah, so I was doing eight hundred meters, fifteen hundred meters on the track, cross, cross country, and a bit of football, and I'd do half an hour, and I'd had to stop at the end in, in agony. So I went to the yeah. doctor, and uh, and he said, "Yeah, you can you can actually it's gr it's growing pains. Your body's trying to grow, and you're training very hard, and your body's just saying that it's kind of no." He said, "You can basically power through it, or pick up and pick up another sport." And my dad happened to be a cyclist as well as a boxer and a footballer. He said, hey, why don't you try cycling? And literally that was my link into cycling. But because of that, uh, you know, I, I, although I'd grown up with cycling around me, uh, I was aware of it, but, but not really into it. So my question to you is, you weren't really seeped in the culture of cycling. So did you, when you started riding a bike, I believe it was just for fitness, but you had no kind of heroes or touchstones in the sport, did you? You just kind of just rode your bike and got good. <laughs> yeah. If I can't, Canada's, Canada's so, Canada, like, even now, my wife will be back home in Canada and she'll, she'll say, oh, my, my, my husband's a professional cyclist. And, like, her friends, her colleagues will, like, think, like, maybe I'm doing bike touring or, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's no understanding of the sport. However, people still do watch the tour. And yeah. uh, I watched the tour as a runner. Uh, okay. every more, every morning I'd wake up, I'd go for my morning run in the summer, uh, in July and I'd come back and I'd, I'd just watch the tour, uh, from, cause in Canada, it's like uh, the, the hours are about from 10 to 12, the two hour window that they'd showed on TV. 
and yeah, I just watched it and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with watching that. But honestly, when I started, even when I started racing, I didn't know what, I didn't know what Perry Roubaix was. I didn't know, I, I, I didn't know there, uh, like I, I remember I was working, even working at a bike shop. Uh, we were watching a race on TV and I was like, what, what is this race? And like the guy who was standing beside me was like, oh, it's Lombardia, dude. Like this is a monument. And I didn't know what the monuments were or anything. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I was completely ignorant to it. And I think that ultimately is the reason why I was able to make it to where I am because yeah. I was so ignorant to how big the sport was. I didn't realize how big it was. And I was yeah. so ignorant to how, like I thought initially uh, you just qualified for the tour, like you do in running, like, you know, you run a standard or something like that. You ride a, <laughs> I had no idea about how the, the politics <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. of teams, I had like none of that. And like, yeah. even, even in Ottawa, there are people that know the sport. There's even uh, a, a guy who did the tour named Gord Frazier. Um, oh, no, but, I, I raced against Gordon. Yeah, he raced for uh, Motorola. Yeah. And, uh, but he wasn't around at, at, when I was there. And there, there's just such a, like even the, the people who knew the sport, they're, they're few and far between. And you just didn't have, I didn't have as much access to those people. So, yeah, yeah it was a real, real uh, uh, education. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's like, and then that also goes back to your, your point about curiosity uh, is that it's, what's that's probably what's been the most fun about falling into this at, yeah. at the age that I've fallen into it. Because when you're, you're 16, 17, 18, when you're or even younger, when you're, you're falling in love with a sport and you get so ingrained into it, eventually most people by their mid to early twenties stop that train of curiosity. They start just yeah. getting locked into what they're doing. You get into a rut. Yeah. 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 And instead I'm 33 and I'm still learning so much. That's and exciting though, mate. It's isn't it? exciting and it's yeah, the best yeah, yeah. part of, of my life right now. It's also why I don't think I'll do this for 12 years, 15 years, because it's really highlighted the fact to me that um, exploration, challenging yourself is yeah. is the key to life. And eventually I want to, uh, like, I don't think I'll know everything in cycling, but that I'll, get, I'll get to a point where I'll start just kind of getting lazy, getting in the same old patterns, and that, that'll be the time for me to move on. Yeah, there's, I think we all of us will get little wake-up calls in life that remind you that, you know, okay, staying on a singular path isn't all that bad, and a lot of people are satisfied, but there's so much else out there, mate, isn't there? No, uh, I've got makes, significant you know, wanderlust. I'm, I'm such, I, I've got, I'm, I'm, I love being curious, and so, yeah, that, I, I don't see myself doing that. I mean, uh, we're going to move on in a moment, but I'm, I just want to dwell a little bit on... Um, racing in Canada, because I've got a, a little fun fact. It's not that, it's kind of fun. It's just me kind of telling you odd war stories, really, mate. But j you may recall, or you may not actually, in 2000, no, 1999, there was a race called Trans-Canada. Have you heard of it? Uh, vaguely. Wasn't it sponsored vaguely. by Canadian Tire? It, I think it was. And it was run by Steve Bauer, who obviously, you know, was yeah. one of the most famous Canadian bike riders, a lovely bloke. Um, and I, I rode that as a stagiaire. Um, um, for Lin a team called Linda McCartney, who I turned pro for eventually, but I was on like a trial and it was the end of the year, September. And also riding um, was Charlie Wigalius as a stagiaire. No and, we were co and we were competing for one place on the team for the following year. Anyway, I yeah. So anyway, I wiped out on stage two. My stem sheared off on a descent. We're doing like 60k an hour. So my stem snapped basically. And I ended up uh, breaking my collarbone, three ribs, oh, and no. rupturing a load of muscles in my back. So I ended up being like, because I couldn't fly home, I was too too injured, so I ended up in a wheelchair. Then I could walk after a few days, and I ended up like a, a one-armed soigneur for the team. And, I, and, and then I, was, I thought, my world is, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to be a pro next year. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to get a job. Anyway, Charlie rode really well, and because I was such a good soigneur, um, they gave me a contract and Charlie went to Mapai. So it was... No way. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was kind of weird, mate, but I, I spent a very, very lovely week in Canada. It was... Um, Do you remember where it was? Well, we, we, we started off uh, in the north, um, the northeast, and we just went down the, down the coastline. We ended up wow. in um, Niagara and we, we went through Montreal, Quebec, cool. places like that. Um, I'm not surprised you, 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 you snapped the... The stem, though, uh, I'd reckon that Canada can be one of the most dangerous places to ride a bike in the sense – to race a bike in the sense that the the open roads, um, we don't have the switchbacks uh, for descents to mitigate speed. And so you just kind of build speed in some of these races. 
Yeah. You build speed, you build speed, you build speed. And then the roads are not in great condition. There are potholes everywhere. And so like you're hitting potholes, the integrity of your bike gradually just starts, it starts falling apart. It whittled away, yeah. You're not the first person to break a stem in North America, that's for sure. I, I, do you know where it was? I think I was in, um, you know, the uh, Montreal and Quebec races. What's the one that goes to that beautiful park and then you have this descent along the river, you do a yeah. left along Quebec the river. City. Yeah, Quebec, that's where I crashed, and I crashed on that descent. Oh, that's uh, an early one. And you can pick up a lot of speed. It's quite wide, isn't it, before yeah. that sweeping left-hander? Yeah. Just before that left-hander, I, I went. Off-camber, too. Off-camber. Yeah. Uh, I went, and then I, yeah, and that, that, that was it. Anyway, that, that, that was me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I tell you what, it's, it's probably a good point in, the, in, in our chat, actually. I'm going to give, do you know what? Uh, I'm a, I think I'm a nice bloke, Mike. I'm going to give you a choice here. Would you like to do Guess That Snack, or would you like to do the Mike, um, the Mike Woods quiz. I'm going to give you a choice. Oh. I, I, have a, I have a mini quiz based on your results. I hope you've done some revision or some swatting. Um, but you can do Guess That Snack now or the quiz. You're the first guest I've asked this. so you should I, feel, I, feel, I feel honored. Yeah, um, privileged. <laughs> let's do the Mike Woods quiz because I, I do don't quiz. think I'm going to be able to guess anything you're eating. <laughs> okay. I think you might be all right, mate, because I've gone I've, – I've, I've really – I mean, without – giving you too much away i've curated a north american snack based quiz oh really yeah yeah I, i've really yeah I've, I've kind of i'm curating each quiz dependent on the guest i'm having oh let's do the quiz then if you did if, let's do the snack base if you didn't if you curated yeah. this i'm keen okay let's do that i mean we're just, okay it's, it's your decision um, let's do it go. To guess that snack, we're going to insert a little jingle here. Of course, it's Cecile Utrop Ludwig sings that sings the jingle. It's time. Guess that snack. Guess that snack. Oh yeah, guess that snack. <laughs> oh, guess that snack. Okay, mate. Right, just, just bear with me. Um, I'm bringing the snacks over. Um, here we go. Here the little packets. So I've got three snacks. Um, and you obviously understand the rules. I believe you've listened in at least to guess that snack. Um, and I'm going to yeah. crunch three of the, all three of the snacks. You have to tell me what they are. But first up, I'm going to describe to you what snacks we have on the table. Now, first bag I'm going to open. Um, I mean, everyone likes this particular snack, I think. I don't know anybody who doesn't like this snack. It's popcorn. Okay, so we've got popcorn. Again, not typically North American, but again, popular in North America. Um, next up... We have a firm favorite, the Cheeto, okay? A cheese-flavored Cheeto. So yeah. as, I'm de- as I'm describing these, Mike, I'm, I'm hoping that your mind is going through some sort of process, thinking about the texture. I'm pretty confident about- I can differentiate between yeah. a Cheeto and a pot- and popcorn. Yeah, yeah, thinking about the, the, the relative density uh, of these snacks. And finally, th- this is the, the first time we've introduced this snack, uh, and we are on episode eight now. It's a pretzel. Oh. But, a, but a small pretzel. So in terms of size, it's like double the size of a human th- of a human thumbnail. Um, <laughs> so if that's... Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, there are different sized humans, but um, maybe let's, let's call it uh, two centimeters wide or like circumference. So we have a Cheeto, we have a popcorn, and we have a... Yeah, we have a pretzel. So we're gonna we're gonna go now. Are you ready? Are you comfortable? I'm, I'm good to go. Let's do this. Okay, mate. So, uh, Mike, guess this snack is going in now. Just popping it in. Cheeto. Straight Easy. off the bat, mate. Easy, Easy. straight in there. That's Thought a I'd classic. That's a classic Cheeto crunch. I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I just knew. You just knew. I mean, uh, do, I mean, do you want to talk us through your decision making process, or is it something that was built in just in eight? I think it's a. I mean, my mom loves. <laughs> my mom loves Cheetos. We always had Cheetos in the house. Any particular flavor, or just the classic? Oh, just straight, just straight cheese. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, there are now flavors. I'm, particularly in the states, there's like jalapeno and a whole range. I guess yeah. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of different flavors. I nearly bought the burning hot ones from our local. There's a little store called Poundland, but this early in the morning, I didn't really want to go to burning hot <laughs> Cheetos. Still so this, is, this is straight cheese then, because I can't. Get, I won't be able to guess the flavor. I'm going to tell you now. No, no, you won't be able to guess the flavor. But no, so so basically, so far, hundred percent. Now moving on. Uh, next up. Okay, it's going in now. Um, okay. Oh, pretzel. Oh, straight off. No hesitation at yeah, all from Mike yeah, Woods. Yeah. 
do out of two. Flipping heck, mate. This is almost too easy. Yeah, it is. Have you, have you been practicing? I'm, a, I'm an excellent snacker. We're dealing in savory snacks right now, which are on my forte. Okay, well, finally then, we'll just, just go through the motions now, but we know that you're going to get 100% on this quiz. I'm popping in now the popcorn. Oh, there you go. That, 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 the, actually, if you started with the popcorn, it might have thrown me th- for a loop because I was looking for more of like a, you know, like the kind of squeegee, um, almost yeah. like squishy like pop- sound when you chew on the popcorn. I, I didn't get that. I didn't hear that. You would have no, you, you would thrown me off if you started with popcorn. I should have done that. I mean, I might. I mean, hopefully, nobody else will listen to this particular podcast, and I can use your feedback to kind of <laughs> <laughs> to help me uh, tell my sort of uh, my tactics on um, on the next uh, guess that snack. So, Mike Woods, hundred percent on guess that snack. Let's have the outro. Guess that snack. Guess that snack. Oh yeah, guess that snack. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. <laughs> Oh, Mike Woods, that was that was fantastic. I mean, we've changed the subject dramatically, and it's actually thrown me off, thrown me off course a little bit. Um, actually, yeah, what I was going to ask you um, was about different about different things. I mean, outside of cycling and outside of uh, outside of sport in general, aside obviously from from your from your family, what 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 makes you happy, mate? What, what do you enjoy doing, or are you just kind of into your sports? I mean, um, what kind of excites you in life, mate? Um. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that I really enjoy. I, I really enjoy reading, actually. Um, okay. I, yeah, I, I like reading. I even like writing. I, I do a fair bit of writing, just just on a fairly regular basis. Um, I like writing down things that have happened to me. I find it's just a nice way to remember things, just a bit, mm-hmm. bit of journalizing, really. And, uh, yeah, but ultimately – one of my one of the favorite my favorite things to do is just have a good dinner like i love like cooking i like oh, having right. a bunch of people over for dinner and and just uh uh yeah good 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 alcohol good drinks good food you know good friends come over and just chatting about everything i, I like to have a good chat good chin mic yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a, an interesting period to look period to look back on this one isn't it as we as we get back to some semblance of normality although although i do think without dwelling too much on the COVID-19 situation, I do think there may be some habits. I mean, we might ref- be a little bit more reflective and a bit more considerate about how we how we move around and stuff. And um, it's it's amazing in the UK, mate, where I am. I'm kind of west, kind of right on the edge of West London. I'm in, in a county called Surrey, right on the Hampton Court Bridge where the TT started in the Olympics in 2012. Sure. So that's where I live about, I don't know, 500 metres from there. And just simply the amount of, I go for a walk every day for an hour just to, put my headphones in and just look around at stuff and people watch. But the amount of people on their bikes, families, clearly like people who really race and are kind of quite competitive all the way through to these little groups of four, just families riding their bikes. It's, it's actually, it's wonderful, mate. It's, and I just hope that we, we capture, you know, some of that. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's, 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 it's the new normal going forward. I was feeling a lot of pessimism towards the sport. I was worried about the sport, particularly in the first few weeks after uh, lockdown began in Spain. I was, uh, I felt like I feel like COVID particularly highlights a lot of has highlighted a lot of um, issues. If you if, you know if like for example in the United States you have uh, this these poor social uh, institutions you know they, they haven't invested properly in them and obviously now it's really oh God, yeah. they're they're, they're magnet these problems are being magnified exponentially and the same thing goes for with our sport the UCI uh, ASO um, just the way the sports organized. Uh, there have been some major flaws magnified. And in those first few weeks, I was feeling a lot of pessimism. However, like you said, you, you see people are going out right now. They're riding their bikes. A lot yeah. more people are riding bikes. I hear the bike industry is actually doing quite well. And now I'm feeling a lot more optimism towards the sport in general. Maybe not necessarily about how the sport, the sport of racing, but the sport of actual cycling, of uh, getting out and riding a bike. I'm really excited about, and I think there's there's going to be a lot more room for growth in it. I, I think you're right. I, I think um, I think understandably across the board in, in whatever industry you worked in or whatever walk of life, there was a, a large degree of pessimism because it was something quite seismic and unprecedented that happened to us all. But um, as we've gone through and people's habits have changed, um, yeah, people's the way people transport themselves rather than being packed into public transport or in cars and they're using bikes and it's it's weirdly we, I wouldn't say we'll come out smelling of roses but like cycling as a pursuit 
is in a good place. Pro cycling is, you know, it's let's be honest, it's um, there's some teams which have had have had to make substantial cutbacks. Your team included, understandably. I think it will uh, right itself, but um, it's a tough time at the moment um, within pro cycling, isn't it? Which is there's a bizarre kind of irony there, isn't there? That pro cycling is is in a rocky place. I, I think it will come back, but the actual pursuit of riding a bike is healthier, arguably, than it's ever been. Yeah, for me, it's it's a weird. It's like, I've noticed. I've already noticed this for the past few years. But I, I come from running, and running is effectively dead. And, it, you know, you hear stories about guys who were racing back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, how big it was, how, how, how the events were huge. Uh, mm. And uh, you'd always feel a bit of sadness whenever you were at a track meet when I was running because you just knew that the stands weren't nearly as full. As full. The, the interest was not there. The TV rights weren't there. Uh, the broadcast, like the, the breadth of the broadcast wasn't there. Um, and in the 80s, running was, in, I feel like, in a very similar place to cycling today. In the 80s, you had this burgeoning marathon scene, burgeoning mass participation scene. And you also yeah. had big stars. You had Carl Lewis, you had Seb Coe. You had these big yeah, yeah. stars. But they ne- running never really managed to connect the two. No. And then you saw, like, from like mid-80s on, you saw this, these two separate paths and now fast forward to 2020 uh i mean pre pre covid uh yeah you'd have these you had new york marathon or boston or london where like 30 40 50,000 people were participating yet they couldn't most of them 90% of them couldn't tell you the name of the guy that won it yeah. and you have stars of the sport in, in athletics that like nobody knows about minus yeah. usain bolt maybe yeah and cycling now you have these mass participation events really growing. Dirty Kanza, you know, you've got the Grand Fondo scene, yeah, and you've got great stars of the sport, um, but they aren't being really connected. And I think this was really an opportunity to figure out a way to connect those two, and I haven't seen it happen yet. And so yeah. now, really, like what we're talking about is how much uh, the 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 recreation side of the sport is growing right now and i see that on such a path so so separate now from where the sport of cycling is going that uh it'll be really hard to connect the two again if the if the aso if us uci if other organizing bodies could figure that out and figure out how to connect those two it, it would save our sport and make this so much more interesting and like really prolong the the, the life of the sport but I don't see that happening at the moment. It, that's a really inter- that's a really interesting point, especially when given the team that you that you've ridden your whole you know world tour career for you know uh, yeah. now EF. I mean, it's why I'm I mean, proud to ride for this team yeah, too. Yeah. We're, we're doing we're we're doing things like we're trying to connect. Exactly, trying, that's, that's exactly my point. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it'd be lovely if the ASO figured out a way to do that too. Like figured out maybe there's a way to do mass participation events with the tour in like this, this generation of, of fans wants to do the same, like they want to re- be able to relate as much as just watching the sport. Like yeah. the, the, the fans that like used to watch the sport were people sitting in bars, smoking cigarettes in Belgium or in Italy, that's not the fan today. The fan today is somebody that actually wants to feel. They want to. They want to do the same roots and they want to experience it. Yeah, they want to experience it, and they want to be able to relate to the characters that are doing it. And so that that's why I, I love riding for the team I'm currently on, um, but also why I'm worried about the state of the sport because you don't see a lot of other teams and even the organization organizational bodies in general trying to uh, collaborate with that. Yeah, I, I think. That's. I mean, I think we could we could easily talk about that for a couple of hours, but I think it's worth just continuing with it for a bit because um, sometimes to be to make effective change in any in anything in any in anything in life, you need to be disruptive. And and, and what we have, although I I'm, and I get the sense that you're still you know you're very passionate about cycling, and although when you first started you weren't fully aware of its history, but um, I was brought up surrounded by cycling, but didn't do it, and then I did, but. Um, <clears throat> You can. Um, it's just. It's ultra. It's still ultra conservative, and and the, the where the power is held, um, RCS, ASO, UCI primarily, um, is a traditionally very conservative. And 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 when you get disruptors like EF and and the infrastructure around the team with JV, um, it ruffles feathers. 
and um, it's uh, people people don't like it, mate, do they? And um, but but to to properly affect change, you need to be disruptive without being disrespectful. You need to say we need we need to try different things. Otherwise, you'll continually ride on two completely kind of separate paths, which will never converge. And actually, they will start separating and go further and further apart. No, but uh, I think what right, your team is doing right. is 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 a, is a marker for the future. You're you're still <clears throat> respectful of the past and the present, but you're looking to the future all the time. Yeah, I, I think so too. Right now, like I, I, I feel like I'm watching the news in some tornado. Like there's been some tornado through a trailer park in Oklahoma, and it's like, like this is the chance to to move. You know, like yeah. it's <clears throat> not like don't put your trailer in the same trailer park in the same tornado path. You know, like yeah. this is the chance to like the forest fires happen. This is the chance to plant new seeds and do something different. And I really hope uh, it's done. But uh, you know, like with this new schedule, maybe there is an opportunity. Maybe there there will be some some uh, uh, lessons gleaned from from uh, this new schedule. But uh, I, I see uh, at the moment, I see a lot of the same problems being repeated. Let's hope that um, we wrap this particular subject up. Let's hope that you are right. Let's hope that there is some learning and um, and there are some kind of seismic shifts in kind of people's attitude. Um, but one thing's for sure, I think more and more people are going to be riding bikes, which I think should could, and I think the word could hit, could provide the catalyst for change in pro cycling as well. But we will have to wait and see on that one, mate, won't we? But I think that neatly leads us on to the quiz. The Rusty Mike Woods Podcast Quiz. Now, Stay focused, mate. Get your little thinking cap on because I've got three questions for you, primarily based on race results, okay? So uh, I know that some some riders really kind of know their race results. Others aren't particularly bothered at all. It's kind of almost like a, it's just, yeah, it's kind of almost irrelevant. But we shall soon find out if you kind of really know your own results. So question number one. Okay, in 2015, you won at stage five of the Tour of Utah, okay? But my question is, who was second and third? Uh, third was Keel Ryan. Yep. And second, oh, I, I know exactly who it is. Italian guy, uh, yep. won a stage of Pyrenees. Yep. Um, but I, I, even, <laughs> I, even, I even said hey to him on Zwift the other day. I'm drawing, oh, wow. a, bl- I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Uh, oh, yeah, and he's, he's so good. Uh, sprinter for Bahrain, yep. Marita. That's it. Oh, uh, man, I can't, I'm just bad with his name. I'll give you a clue about his first name. Do you remember Cher, Cher back in the 60s? Something and Cher. Something and Cher. You know Cher the singer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that one. Um, she had a partner in the 60s who shared the same name as this guy. Oh, I, I couldn't tell you. Sonny and Cher. Oh, Sonny Cabelli. Yeah. I can't believe I, can't believe I, I completely, I can, yeah, Sonny and Cher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry, mate. I don't know if the spelling is the same. I'm going to give you that, Mike. I'm going to give you a full point because you you acted so quickly and you gave me a full description of the person. Um, I, just, I was drawing about. a blank on his name. I couldn't like. I knew exactly who it was. Nice guy. Indeed. So, that, yeah, he's he's a, he's a good guy. He has got a punch. That guy, isn't he? He oh, is. Uh, yeah, he's a punchy guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, so that's quite well. 100 so far. Well done. Um, question number two. Okay. Well-celebrated bronze in 2018 in the Worlds in Innsbruck behind uh, Alejandro Valverde and, of course, Roman Bardet. But my question to you, Mike, what time did all four of you in that front break, including, of course, Tom de Moulin, finish in? So what was the finishing time for the race? Okay, I'm giving you three choices, all right? So it's multiple choice. So don't panic. I'm going to go through them nice and slowly before you can draw, so you can then draw your conclusion. I'm going to so, guess before you even give them to me. Go, go for it, mate. You get If you do this, you get an extra bonus point. And I'll post, what I'll do, I'll re- reseal that packet of Cheetos and post them to Andorra. I, I'm guessing, but I, I'm actually, I don't know it. But I'm going to say 647 because it sounds right. That's not far off. Okay. It's not far off at all. But I'm going to give you the choices and you can make a call. It's not far off. Was it A... Six hours, 46 minutes, 41 seconds. Was it B, six hours, 47 minutes and 41 seconds? <laughs> oh, you're going or to seconds, okay. C, yeah, or was it, <laughs> si- or was it 648, 41? Oh, I, I said 647, so I just got to go with the 647, stick with my guns, I guess. Mate, I mean, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not <clears> right. It was 646, 41. Ah. <laughs> oh, mate, but... Um, that reminds me, I had, when I rode for Garnell, I rode for this Continental team, 
and Louis Garneau was the owner, uh, sponsor of the team, and uh, he owns Garneau, obviously. Yeah. And he would always ask us what our, our finishing time was for the race. <laughs> and, and, and he was so keen on like the kilometers per hour and what our finishing time was, as if we were time trialing the entire race. <laughs> and I was like, man, you get the sport. I don't understand why you're asking us this. Are you trying to say that I don't get the sport, mate? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you are. Yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of yeah. It's, it's a such weird a runner question to ask. Like, I still get that asked by runners. Oh, you did two hundred k. What was your time? Yeah, it. it, it I, no, you are quite right. I, I'm almost doing it because I'm I'm a bit of a geek as well. I don't know all these times off the top, and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan and follower of the sport, and I kind of have to know about results, but I don't know average speeds. I don't know times, but because um, people do come up to me even now and tell me what their personal best is for a 16k time trial and I, I think it's lovely that people come up and say hi and stuff but some of the stuff they actually talk about is kind of so bizarre that i find it quite amusing that's why i'm really asking silly questions in this quiz <laughs> to see if you've got any remote knowledge i was pretty, of, close, of, of, man. I was pretty close that was good that was solid so what what i've done i've, I've had a, a quick word with our producer on the qt we are going to award you half a point oh. um yeah so hey consider Thank that a result generous. mate Hey, no worries at all. We're, we're here to, you know, we're, you know it's, this is a celebration uh, more than anything, really, mate. Um, so question number three for the final question in the uh, Mike Woods quiz. Okay, right. What was the first of the monuments, Mike, that you finished? And what was your placing? Oh, it was so, uh, Lombardia. So the first monument, yeah, was yep. You were 31st. 31st. <laughs> wasn't even close. It's not bad, mate. You just like... <laughs> I said it with such confidence. You did. I thought, and I, I might have to double check pro cycling stats just to, <laughs> just to make sure. Uh, I think... No, you, you were. You, you were 31st, that, mate. That was a funny race. I, I was so bad at descending still. And yeah. I made it over the climb with the front group. There was like maybe eight guys left. It was Rigo, Chavez, uh, Rosa, Hessink was 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 going well. Then he was there. Uh, a lot of great riders made it over the, the the front group on the top of the second last climb, and was like, "Man, I'm coming top ten. Yeah. And then literally within two minutes, like messed up the first corner, messed up the second corner, and just basically did the walk of shame back to the peloton over the course of this descent <laughs> and finished with I finished with with Schleck it was his last his last race uh, I remember yeah because I rode in with him it was his last race as a pro that's right yeah you you finished you end up in a group with uh, the, the yeah 22nd place was the first guy in your group that was Diego okay. Ulissi yeah uh, you're 8 minutes 10 uh, um, but, 16th was in my head but yeah not even close yeah not no that's close. Yeah, 16th on that particular day was a guy called Matvey Mamikin from Team Katusha oh, at 502. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think I commentated on that that race, actually. Um, but yeah, good win by Esteban that, that day. That was a it? sweet but, win, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, actually, I mean, while we're on, the, I mean, so unfortunately, I can't give you half a point uh, for an incorrect answer, but it was, I, well, I will, because you got Il Lombardia, which is correct, um, but you got the incorrect sort of placing. So I'm going to give you half a point. So you got a total, uh, Mike, of... Two points out of three, which in old money is around 70%. So that's not bad. Good stuff, mate. Good Add stuff. that to the 100% of my snack quiz. I'm pretty proud of myself. That's a, out of 200%, uh, if that's even a thing. That's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, so that actually, yeah, you're, you're nudging 85% aggregated here. I'm not feeling Which, which I think... Um, I think you should be pretty happy with. I think there's still room for, for a bit of work, maybe next time in a year's time if we do this again. Um, so you can step it up a bit. And I think once you, the injury is completely behind you, you might be well on course to getting 200% forward slash 100%. Um, now, talking about Il Lombardia, I know it's one of the races that you absolutely love. And um, you were saying that the uh, the result that you got that you got in Il Lombardia is one of your best results um, ever because obviously you finished on the podium um, in Twitter. In, um, was it you finished on the podium? Up no, there? I was. I was bit, right before I I, I, I won Milano Torino. That's it, but Torino, yeah. And then uh, this year I came fifth. That's it. I mean, what 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 about what about the the classics? I mean, Liège, Milan Torino, um, Fleshwell on. They're all the kind of races that suit your kind of attributes. But if you had to choose between any of those races, what would be the one? 
And actually, I, I completely transposed that little quote there. It was basically, it was Malay, it was uh, Liège Bastion Liège. You, you feel there's one of your best days on the bike, your second place. Yeah. Um, would it be Liège or would it be uh, Lombardy? I know I don't like to kind of put people on the spot, but I'm just intrigued because each race has its own kind of rich history and set of dynamics and meaning to each individual rider, doesn't it? Yeah, I think for me it's Liège just because it's um, it's more suited to my skill set. I find I find. I mean, Lombardy is amazing too. It's hard. It's really like they're pretty close in, in yeah. my, my eyes, but uh, Liège is just, I, I love that race. It's such a race of attrition, uh, which uh, yeah, it just wears you down. And aside from my first year where I didn't, I didn't finish cause I crashed out, Yeah. but uh, I, I was, it was only 25 K to go and I was in the front group. I finished in the top 10 every time I've done it. And I, I like, I love it. It's like, yeah. it, it's just, it, you just have to be, you have to uh, be resilient and always stay in a positive headspace. And there's some point in the race, no matter how good you are, where you consider dropping out. And I thought, I like that. I really like that aspect of it. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a grueling event. Yeah. And what did you think? Just one, one more question on Liège, because we saw a dramatic course change last year when Jakob won. What did you think of the course change compared to the classic finish where, of course, Dan Martin won, you got your wonderful second place a couple of years ago? Yeah, I, I like it. Um, something, a part of me liked the old finish because it was such, such a, a weird juxtaposition. Like you had this amazing, beautiful Belgian scenery. And then like, after you come up uh, over Rochevaucan, you've got these cows and it's like pastoral setting to your right. And I was saying you take a left and then another right and there's a gas station. And then from there, it's yeah. just crap. It's like yeah. just this like hot blue, blue collar, uh, industrial area. And you finish by a car floor. And it like, yeah. I, there's something I liked about that. <laughs> but it, it made to me it makes a lot more sense to have it finish in a city center in Liège proper, and yeah. I felt like the course change actually in, uh, made guys ride even more aggressively and kind of do more of the old school approach of attacking even from Labrador on. Yep. So yep. Um, you know longer attacks, like you looked at, you saw where uh, Fulsang went on Russia Volcan. That's still a ways out. Um, yeah. And I, I like that. I, I felt like it was it made for even more aggressive racing because you had to attack if you wanted to get away from it being a sprint. What, what, am I am I right? Was it that race that you <laughs> finished in one leg warmer? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I bet so many people have asked you about that. No, no, you're describing the race to me, and I, I obviously watched it, and I'm thinking about yeah, yeah. Ah, that was the one where Mike had one one leg warmer. That's an awful situation to be in. You know, when you're like taking kit off, and then the hammer goes down. When you're all like when you're eating something, and the hammer goes down, you got to spit your food out. It's kind of, it's one of those wonderful things about bike racing, but it kind of it rarely happens like that, doesn't it? I guess. Oh, I know. Like I, I've taken <laughs> off my leg warmers and my this, so many times. But like this time is Gary attacked right when I was doing it. And I knew right. from then on it was going and like, I got yeah. one off, but it was too late to get the other off. And <laughs> so I thought cool. about this for a while. I was like, do I st- <laughs> like, I know I'm going to get crucified. I know everyone's <laughs> going to make fun of me. And like, I, I like, I knew I was going to attack on Russia account. So I knew I was going to be visible. Like I, I was having yeah. one of those days. I felt so good. Yeah. And also one of the keys for me to having success that day was overdressing. I did a full kit change at one point, even undershirt. And wow. I was I was so warm and like such a comfortable place that I just wanted to stay warm for as long as possible and that's why yeah. I delayed taking these off. But man, like I knew I was just going to get made fun of so much. <laughs> However, uh, the like ultimately, like if I won that thing with one leg warmer, uh, like yeah, everyone would make fun of me, but I still won it. And yeah. my teammates, I, like I didn't want to let my teammates down. If I had d- tried to take that leg warmer off and let the group go. Oh God! I, I, like that would have been way worse. I would have much yeah. rather been been made fun of for the rest of my career and known for being the one leg warmer guy than let, yeah. come back on the bus after and say, "Sorry, guys, <laughs> I let it go because I, I had to take a leg warmer off." Yeah, would, you'd have ended up being like this kind of like super famous meme, wouldn't you? You know, uh, used forevermore. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, Mike, that's that's a cracking mate. It's been absolutely cracking talking to you, mate. You've been very very generous with your time. We're we don't have really a limit to the pods. We like but we like to keep them around an hour. But we've got. It's been such a great chat. I think we could have happily talked for a lot longer. But before we wrap things up, finally, I just want to ask you one more, one more little question that I do ask all of our guests, especially during this time where there's still, you know, the restrictions are slowly being lifted, but we're all spending a lot of time listening to music, watching TV and stuff. And I'm wondering if there's a particular TV takeaway recommendation, maybe on Netflix or something like that, that you'd recommend other people watch. Easy. Last Dance. 
uh, Bulls, uh, the Chicago Bulls, uh, 97, uh, uh, Oh, with Jordan and stuff. Yeah. Jordan. Okay. Like I, I grew up, you know, I I was not like eight, nine, 10 in the the mid nineties, uh, when Jordan was such a huge figure. And when you're, you know, 10 years old, uh, sports stars can't be bigger, you know, like they, they just hold, hold this space in your mind that's so well, transcend sport don't they when they're yeah. that big and yep. jordan was just so big i remember him being so big as a kid and i wasn't even a, a big basketball fan but i followed the bulls because of jordan because of pippen because of um rodman yeah and watching this documentary particularly it a, it's like a, i think it's a 10-part uh series uh they did such a good job of just capturing what jordan was how big he was the stylish dude that he was yeah. uh the 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 presence that he held and they really got into the uh, as most espn 30 for 30 documentaries do they really got into the headspace of him and talked a lot about how he managed to elevate his game to a greater level and yeah. it was inspiring I, I got inspired watching it i talked to mitch docker my teammate afterwards because we're you know we're both at, at one point you know even questioning like how much longer we're going to be racing and yeah uh I said, man, you got to cue this up. It's going to get, it's going to milk at least a couple more years out of your career. He, he, he wow. watched it too. And was really I tell you what, you have, you, you have sold that to me because funnily enough, uh, uh, another friend of mine who, one of the producers at Eurosport, I was chatting to him the other day, um, a guy called Rob. And he, uh, he said, Matt, you've got to watch. I said, what, what's good on Netflix? I'm watching a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm still on Breaking Bad. I'm only in like season four of that. I'm oh, ca- playing catch up, which, which I love. But he said, The Last Dance. And he said, Matt, I know you're into cycling and you're not necessarily into basketball, but that doesn't matter. You just have to watch it because it's about, it's about people, about personality. And he said, it's something special. So the fact you've recommended it as well uh, means I shall definitely be tuning into that in the next few days. That sounds like a very, very sound recommendation. Mate. Oh, I could go on for, about it for ages. Like, <laughs> yes. like it, it, also, you think of like, I watch a lot of American sports and it's not like when you watch basketball particularly, there's these talking heads that just talk in superlatives. They don't like, they're like, the team that scores more points is going to win the game. You know, like that, yeah. whereas this was it's, an, yeah. it's yeah. an intelligent approach to sports. Uh, and then, and like go, it's cerebral. It's beautiful. Like they taught Phil Jackson, the coach, incredible individual, uh, probably the greatest basketball coach of all time. Super interesting dude. Like they cover him. It, it, it's great. It's just, there's yeah. so many layers of great to it. So I, I, I recommend it. Are you sure you don't, you don't work for, for the company? You didn't work on the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a bit of a kickback right now from Netflix. Don't, I don't blame you, mate. That was a glowing uh, review uh, or sort of preview, mate. But, uh, but Mike, we, we do have to wrap it up now, mate. But it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've really enjoyed myself. Had a laugh. Learned a lot about you. And, and, and what, what I'd like to do before we do finally sort of uh, switch off the mic is say all the best in your continued recovery, mate. I'm sure you will make it back to the best level, if not even better. Um, oh, and I'm re- yeah, and I'm, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how you and the rest of the team kind of navigate this, this back part of the year. Um, and hopefully we'll catch up on the road very, very soon, mate. Same. I look forward to it, man. Take care, mate. Thank you. Bye now. May has come and gone. God, it has, isn't it? And while we all look forward to the potential of all Grand Tours coming thick and fast in the autumn, I cannot wait that long. And so, regular listeners like yourself will be familiar with the Grand Tours. It's time for Stage 3, emptying the dishwasher. Well, welcome to Stage 3 of the Grand Tours. As you may hear by the uh, my echoey surroundings, I'm back in the kitchen again. I'm going to be emptying the dishwasher. Um, yeah, you might think that, uh, was well, that really a chore? Well, it is a chore, but I've got a particular technique to it. Um, filling the dishwasher is one thing and often talked about, but not many people talk about emptying the dishwasher. Um, because I basically time it. I try and do it within a couple of minutes. I've got a coffee on the go in the background. Just going to whack on the milk. Just hit the milk is on now. So that'll be frothing gently in the background. This gives me added impetus. Just a, a quick run through of the model we're using here. This is a Beko. It's a Beko DSFN 6830W. It's an A plus rating. And generally we have it on a P6. Now P6 setting is called a hygiene 70 degree wash. It's a, an extra rinse cycle, uh, which is recommended for dishes and bottles. Let's just open her up. She's been cooled down. There's no no steam coming out now. It's safety first. Just pulling the lower drawer out. Let's go to the lower drawer first. I'm going to make a quick grab for the plates. Four big plates. They're the dinner plates. They're on the sideboard now. There's some smaller side plates right next to them. There's two of those. 
And there's also some bowls. Now they're going to go in the same cupboard. So I've got a very, very long kitchen. What I don't want to do is make too many unnecessary trips. So what I'm going to do is stack the two plates on top of the big plates and the bowls on top and make one run. Just heading down towards now. You'll know well if you listen to the last podcast. That's the washing and the tumble dryer. I'm now crouching down. I'm not going to bend. Using my knees. Always use your knees. Loading the plates on. All those plates are now away. And that furthest part of the kitchen's now been used. Dashing back again. Still held the milk for, I think. Just going to put the grater away. Controversial using a grater. Putting a grater in the dishwasher. Still on the top shelf and we're going for the cups. Well, this is the mugs. Four mugs in one hand. Leaving room for two glasses in my right. And the top shelf's clear. Top shelf now clear. Moving backwards. Back into the kitchen. Opening up the top cupboard. Three mugs in that cupboard on the right-hand side. Open up the left cupboard to put the slightly larger mug in because of different shelf height. And then two glasses going in. Top shelf done. Moving back now to the to the lower shelf. Or lower and top shelf are done, should I say. This is a very, very quick one. Opening the, the drawer now. Knives are in. All of my utensils are facing upwards. No particular order, but I do try and make sure they're spaced evenly so they can get maximum jettage um, I should never have your utensils overlapping. We're nearly done. One more little thing. Just going to pull the the, uh, the lower tray a little bit further out. There's a little bit of food residue. There's a few bits of rice, a couple of bits of tomato, some pepper skin in there. Just going to get a bit of kitchen towel. This is on the filter section. The milk's still going. My uh, coffee's ready to pour. I'm going to pre- preheat the cup as well. So efficiency in the kitchen is all about doing two or three things at once. There she is. The dishwasher is empty. Just going to turn her off. Done and dusted. And now I'm ready to make my coffee. Well, that was fascinating, wasn't it? That'll go down, I think, as one of the most memorable stages for years to come. Now, please do get in touch on Twitter if you have any grand chore suggestions using the hashtag hashtag grand chores and at myself real stevens and at sigma sports too don't forget it's a great time to upgrade to ultimate performance with ceramic speed order an ospw system at sigma sports throughout june and get a free ceramic speed ufo chain just head to sigmasports.com forward slash podcast for all of the details thanks ever so much for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast i want to rate it and recommend it to your cycling buddies if you haven't done already And I'd just like to thank Mike Woods for being such a superb guest. We could have chatted for hours and hours, but Mike, thanks very much indeed. Uh, Hold on a minute. Mike, is that you? What what on earth are you doing? But I got got the scale set up, got one leg on on the scale, one leg off, just making sure the weight's calibrated. See, Mike, you're weighing your legs. Of course, man. Got an extra 50 grams in there. Got to make sure, got to make sure they're evened out. Right. Okay, Mike. Anyway, thanks again, buddy. You, You take care. Bye.